Welcome to the Abundant Edge Podcast. Here we dive deep into the worlds of permaculture, natural building, and regenerative living as we aspire to help you reach your highest potential for yourself, for your community, and for this beautiful planet that we all share. As always, I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a great session for you in this week's episode, so let's jump right in. Are you looking for the best resources to help you build a regenerative lifestyle? New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 30 years. They publish good news and solutions for individuals and organizations seeking to change their lives so that they may change the world for the better. Their company mandate goes far beyond the single bottom line of profit. They care deeply not only about what they publish, but also how they do business. They believe in the authors that they take on and the works that they bring to the marketplace. From sustainable living to progressive parenting, New Society Publishers has the books you need to help build a better world. Buy your print and ebooks online at www.newsociety.com or at fine bookstores near you. All right, here we are again with one of my favorite guests, Shad Goodsey. Now, Shad has been a good friend and mentor to me and our team at Abundant Edge for years now and is the founder of Atitlan Organics, a profitable permaculture farm and education center here on Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. Now, if you'd like to hear more from Shad and his path on permaculture farming in Guatemala, you can always check out the previous interview from season one in the link in the show notes for this episode. Now, I've invited Shad back today to help us tackle some of the most pressing questions and concerns that I hear from our Facebook page and online forums for permaculture farmers. In this interview, we speak from our own experiences and context about finding the balance between farm diversity and efficiency. We also go in depth on the often neglected subject on lifestyle design around your farm and how to prevent your plant and animal-based enterprises from trapping you in a cycle of constant maintenance and preventing you from living the life you want. It seems the modern context of regenerative farming comes with a lot of advantages, but also limitations if you're not clear about the life you want to live around farming. So I hope that this is a discussion that many of you listeners will feel compelled to jump in on. Every context is a bit different, and I look forward to hearing your take on the topic. You can always write to us on Abundant Edge Facebook page or email us directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. So now I'll hand things over to Shad. Hey, everybody. All right, I'm here with my good friend and colleague, Shad Goodsey, and we're going to be talking about some really interesting topics, but to start off, how are you doing today, bud? Yeah, I'm doing really well, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, It's good to be here. Hey, it's always a pleasure. Uh, We actually have these conversations all the time, so it's really fun to just turn the microphone on and actually have a little bit of a kind of like a criteria that we're that we're going to talk about. So let's start off with one of the topics that everybody is interested in when it comes to farm design and making sure that profitability is worked into the plan. And that is kind of the paradox of efficiency and diversity. Now, I know that especially for ecological health, diversity is really essential. If you have monoculture plantings or you know, just one type of animal, it's very, very hard for a healthy ecosystem to sustain something like that. While at the same time, you have to work with the efficiencies of turning out products from either your plants or your animal systems. And it's really hard to do if there's a lot of really small ones. Um, Give me some examples from your eight years of permaculture farming on how you managed to balance those two seemingly opposed uh, factors on your farm. Yeah, for sure. 
um, so just to kind of recap your your question, um, we're talking about efficiency versus diversity, and yeah, that's been a big topic on my mind, like for for the past like really solid year and a half, almost two years. I've been really feeling this tension between these ideas. Uh, naturally, as you said, Oliver, uh, diversity is kind of like. You know, it's obvious we don't want monocultures. We that like leads to just a world of problems, uh, all of which we're mostly familiar with: diseases and pests, and you know, just like uh, buildup of of certain challenges like pests and diseases, and then like the reduction of certain minerals or elements, and basically just uh, leading to a lot of headaches in management and ecology as well. Um, I also noticed just like. I think a big attraction of permaculture and when I meet a lot of students coming into permaculture for the first time, it's like the idea of anti-monoculture and like pro-diversity is so strong. That's like, I think it's a, it's something to that's easy to wrap our heads around. And so I think for me starting out, I came with that same kind of idea. Like I had some farming experience. My uncle has a 60 acre cabbage farm. So it's literally 60 acres of cabbage. Uh, he does grow two other vegetables, but at different times. So it's either 60 acres of lettuce, 60 acres of cabbage mainly, and then they do a chili peppers at the end. So I was like seeing all the challenges that monoculture in this vegetable farm uh, led to. And so when I came to permaculture, I was like, I'll never do that. We're going to grow as much diversity as possible. Um, but now flash forward to last year when, when this topic has come up a lot, uh, you could just picture a typical week in the Attila and organics farm. We were raising, uh, a hundred to 120 meat birds every month. So we were harvesting about 25 to 30 chickens a week. We were doing a pig a month. We were doing, you know, dozens of pounds of salads and cooking greens on, for daily harvest except Sunday. We were also milking goats, making yogurt, making cheese. Seasonally, we bought and processed coffee and harvested the bit that we grew. And on top of that, bees um, harvesting honey and then packing honey and selling it. So we we were proud to boast that we had 10 different products that we were producing on the farm on two and a half acres and selling them all and like making some money. But the week was just insane. And we were starting at 6am and finishing at 6pm basically. And I don't think the quality of any one product suffered, right? But the consistency of its availability, of its packaging, of its delivery to the people who are willing to pay for it, all of that suffered like extremely. Uh, I was just too much to deal with. Uh, and that doesn't even touch on like, like our food forest is so diverse. So even when we have a couple thousand tree tomatoes, it's not really efficient for us to stop everything else and harvest them. So there's actually a lot of harvests and products that we're not even like taking beyond what we can eat in our house. So anyway, uh, this massive diversity was killing us. And that's when I really started seeing this need for efficiency. Uh, and I can kind of continue the story but about where that tension is taking us. But I don't know if there's anything. I feel like I've been talking a lot. Uh, but the, this diversity, while it's beautiful and we created this ecosystem, really took a toll on the management of our farm and the ability to get things to market consistently. Well, give us some context as well, because your farm is not large at all. In fact, you're on quite challenging terrain, very similar to us. We're only like a couple hundred meters down the hill from you. It's pretty much the exact same microclimate and soil conditions. 
making things in large quantities in order to keep up with that consistency for your market has to be a challenge just given the amount of space that you're working with. However, you don't want to go back to the monoculture that you were so worried about emulating that you saw as you were growing up in New Jersey. So how have you started to find a balance between the health of the ecosystem, maintaining enough diversity that you don't start to bring on the types of pest issues and um, other downsides of processing things in too, too much of a kind of homogenized way and still maintaining a profit on the farm um, without having like those issues of just so many competing enterprises like you had before yeah um so what i've come to see you know you touch on two things the the size of our farm is true we're farming two and a half acres uh and none of the products that i mentioned were really large scale but we are all direct to market so we get basically the consumer dollar we mainly sell to restaurants and uh stores and so some some families buy direct from the farm but the majority of our stuff is going to restaurants and stores um so even though we're not producing a lot of any one thing like a ton of it we're we're managing to get most of the dollar spent on that product and so it makes each of those products that i mentioned kind of worth doing even though it's on a on a small scale so so between six and ten milking goats a hundred to 120 chickens a month you know one big pig a month on average it's for some fireworks in town it's a celebration today um but yeah uh so you know enough of a scale that it like it brought an income that covered the cost and contributed to the farm's bottom line um but really what I've come to believe is is diversity doesn't have to do with the sheer number of things that are happening on the property. Like it more has to do with the beneficial relationship between the things that are happening. So just because you have a food forest that has 80 plants in it, if those plants aren't having a lot of rich interactions with their neighbors it's not going to be a really like strong synergistic system um so i've kind of started this process of whittling away a lot of the activities that seem to be a strain on our time budget and also were maybe either redundant or just kind of out of nowhere like they didn't seem to contribute much beneficial interaction to the other parts of the system um so so that's been an interesting process now, can you talk a little bit about how you actually put a few of those enterprises to the chopping block? What was a little bit of your thought process and how did you evaluate which ones were worth keeping? Yeah. Um, so I, when I give the farm tour these days, I often say, you know, I felt like I had to take uh, one step back in order to get two steps forward. Um, so the from the time management point of view the goats were taking the most amount of time uh it really the way we managed our goat systems is a hour to an hour and a half walk in the morning before milking to get some green material in their stomachs then we feed them a little bit of whole corn while we milk them at 7 30 a.m so we're starting at six then after milking they rest a little and then there's another two hour walk followed by a greens chopping session for the evening and an afternoon milking. So there's really five significant daily activities to take take care of the goats. And it took 
in total about four to four and a half hours a day. So this is a massive time commitment and every day, you know, Sundays, weekends, uh, holidays. Um, so that was one that was kind of instantly glaring at like flashing red lights like hey even though the milk is profitable and even though you could like take some steps to improve that packaging and get it to the people who are willing to pay for it better it was just such a time drain on the farm so we kind of looked at freeing up our schedule as a priority which led us to chop the goats away um and i can tell a bit more of the story just as it goes so uh, abundant edge research farm and and production farm uh is our neighbors as many of you guys listening know but basically we made a deal with with abundant edge with you oliver and neil uh to get our goats off the farm for 15 months so it was march 1st uh officially abundant edge took over the goat herd and started milking and started taking care of everything and in exchange we get a bottle of milk a day and we get the goats out of our hair for the next 15 months um and there's a lot of agreements kind of that went into this i don't know if maybe you want to chime in on that in a second but for me it's really nice this is this is kind of like an interesting thing you set off maybe in the field of sustainability thinking you can do everything yourself and then you realize like, whoa, this is like way too much. And just to have good team of people and partnerships and collaborations is so invaluable. So like, I'm grateful for Abundant Edge that I can trust these guys to keep these animals in really good health and actually take the production to another level to learn better ways to do it uh, while it gives me a chance to focus on things that are happening. So I don't know, how have the goats been working out for you? Man, this agreement between the two of us, well, actually, you know, our two organizations, since your farm includes, you know, your whole team and Abundant Edge is quite a team at this point, too, has really, I think, benefited both of us at this stage. Now, our homestead down just below your farm doesn't have the same goals of profitability just on farm products as is the goal of your farm. Uh, We're much more geared towards education and experimentation. So, our goal with the outputs of the farm are more to break even and pay good salaries to the people who are helping us with the maintenance. Whereas myself, Neil and Jeremy and Adriana are working on kind of figuring out how to optimize all of these systems so that we can teach locals how to do it and actually make a profit. Um, So a lot of what we've been doing with the goats so far is figuring out how much milk we need to produce and what products we need to turn that raw milk into in order to make the enterprise profitable. Um, How much is it going to cost in time to pay someone to do the maintenance parts that quite frankly are are things that would be tough for us to justify for our own wages. things like walking them for you know a cumulative amount of almost three hours a day milking processing the milk into yogurt and cheese which we also do figuring out good recipes that will sell well and consistently and also figuring out a time scale in which to get a portion of the herd pregnant so that we can continue to grow the herd and get good offspring that we can either sell or just you know incorporate into the system and cycling them through so that it doesn't drop off milk production for too long in which case basically our other aspects of the farm are subsidizing the maintenance of the goats while they're not giving a product so it's quite a lot of factors to think about 
and to balance to figure out how to justify that aspect of the farm. But the timing worked out perfectly because you wanted to get rid of extra maintenance and kind of unjustifiable enterprises on your farm right when we're developing ours. And though it's not a profitable enterprise at the moment, what we could really use is the huge injection of fertility that all that manure is giving us. We really need to build soil and fertility on our farm and it's actually worth it for us to offset our expenses of having those animals, buy the products that they're, that they're making and knowing that we're gonna have to pay a little bit of our own investment money, but it's going to launch the production of uh, compost way past what we'd be able to do just through through plants or or even just smaller animals yeah for sure um you know it's all too familiar all the different considerations you went through and talking about the goats um the goats are great animals and they are they are super productive um just hearing hearing you has made me yeah realize like so it is you could run the whole farm with the goat as the center center enterprise the central piece economic piece production piece and then all the other stuff around it could really just be like lifestyle add-ons but really focusing on just the goat products as the main like income generating cash crop if you will um and i think that case could be made with any good high value product that you choose to produce uh joel salden always says this you know if you hate eggplants don't grow eggplants like you know paraphrasing but something like that like something you're passionate about something you love to eat or love to work with uh take that and do it the best you know and then maybe add something else on so uh to be honest you know even though i just said all that i'm kind of going against that advice a little bit because i much prefer chicken to salads i'd rather eat a piece of fried chicken than than a bowl of salads but i do like both of them and i do love the salads for sure um but we decided to go with salads first salads were altitland organics first product salad uh mixes triple washed ozonified like with flowers in the bag ready to take out plate dress and eat um and then also cooking greens for cooking with pasta or eggs or sauteing or in soups things like that so that was our first product seven and a half years ago and it just felt like it's the one that has a very clear demand and very little competition that around here around the lake of guatemala there's a lot of people that want fresh clean greens that they can trust to eat and and still be healthy and not get sick from it that's a consideration in tropical environments um and we've built a good reputation around them and there's no one else really doing it so for us it just made sense like all right salads were our first product we have the most kind of knowledge around the production and packaging of salads and it it just made sense to start there so we've really kind of like we still have other production points and profit centers if you will of the farm the eggs are still quite profitable and we sell a lot of eggs we produce like like uh eight dozen eggs a day so you know uh over 50 dozen a week and we sell all the ones we sometimes my wife gets mad at me that we don't have enough eggs in the house because there's people buying them and i tend to oversell them um but i've actually kind of dropped away all farm accounting except for the salads and so it's it's actually been this amazing like wow like instead of trying to do a bunch of things part of the way 
just focusing on the salad and cooking green enterprise, I have one set of farm books for just that stuff. Any egg money that comes in, it's just kind of like a side paycheck. I actually put it in a little wallet because I know our next enterprise add-on that we'll do seriously will be eggs. So I have money saved to buy the next big batch of chicks and get them up to laying age. But really, I'm looking at the farm profitability as just the cost of producing the salads versus the, in- versus the income of the salads. And then every other part is just kind of like part of my lifestyle now. And that's made a big difference. Um, yeah. One of the things that has been really inspiring to watch you do on your farm and has given us a lot of great ideas and things to emulate on our own, even though we have slightly different uh, intentions and goals, is the way that you sort of manage them and keep them separate in order to do good analysis. I know something that you've talked about with us in the past is making sure that one of your enterprises is not subsidizing the other. Um, so, for example, like we're currently subsidizing our goats. They are not paying for all of the expenses and the inputs that we're putting into them. And we have different reasons for justifying that, especially early on before we really get the system dialed in. Tell me a little bit about how you have kept the management separate in order to do a good analysis on the separate enterprises and make sure that each one is justifying itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that's really an important piece of the puzzle and something that that gets uh, overlooked by a lot of like people just starting up. Um, for us, is you know as silly as it sounds, if if you're dealing with cash, like a lot of people, I think the reality for a lot of like homestead, small scale farm, market garden, farmettes, um, especially if you're kind of selling at markets and to friends and, and family and things like that. I think you deal a lot in cash, right? Um, for us in Guatemala, we especially deal in cash, but uh, whether it's in cash and you get yourself individual wallets per enterprise, like literally physical wallet for salad and cooking greens. I smush them together. You know, it's our greens, basically. A second physical wallet, which I have for the eggs, a third physical wallet for the meat birds, chicken production. And that just actually forcing you to keep a separate set of books and cash for each one. If you are doing it with like bank accounts involved and like electronically, I think it's really important to do at least a monthly if not weekly accounting and and like putting in this separating out so if you go to market and you sell eggs and salads that day and you come home with 180 dollars of sales say for example it's not enough just to say 180 dollars income you have to be able to say 80 dollars in eggs and 100 dollars in salad so keeping incomes separate and then also keeping costs separate and just knowing if there's something that's a shared cost like say we have hay for our meat birds and for our egg layers and for building because we're building right now or for mulch for the garden say um, we don't really mulch our salad greens because it's just like living mulch basically. But yeah, so say say we're, we have a household need for hay, we have a chicken meat production need for hay and an egg production need. We would roughly estimate, oh, about a third of the hay went to building, a third of the hay went to the meat birds a third of the hay went to the hens and then split that receipt of hay and just write one third hens one third thing and then add that as an expense to each of those operations um it sounds a little tedious but it's absolutely essential to tracking the profitability of each 
enterprise. And I think it's something, something worth saying. That's what I'm seeing now. Maybe I won't sell honey anymore. Maybe we sell honey to one restaurant right now and we use it for our own uh, production, our own household use. Um, I might still just pay to have a couple beehives and any little expenses that go into dealing with that over a full year but that would just be like a personal expense like a lifestyle expense but it shouldn't be that the farm accounts are paying for the beehives so it's kind of like the farm should pay you and then you pay for your home garden the farm should pay you and then you pay for your hobby beehives but set but the farm shouldn't be paying for those hobby things um and i think it's really difficult and it may be difficult if you're in your first or second year, but as you advance and you really want to make sure the farm is paying the bills, teasing out each enterprise and knowing the actual expenses and income is crucial. Yeah, I completely agree. And um, the trick is, like we talked about in the beginning, finding a balance between that diversity and those profit-generating enterprises. Now, can you talk a little bit about the amount of diversity that you have kept just for the sake of you know, having access to really good food for yourself and your family, but also for the essentials in the health of the ecology that makes an environment that's healthier for both your meat and egg-laying birds and for the soil in the salad enterprise because I know you have an orchard which is quite diverse you have personal gardens that you use mostly for your own food production you just mentioned the honey now those aren't like creating a profit for yourself but they have tons of other benefits on the farm tell me about why you wouldn't ever really want to get rid of that amount of diversity and how it benefits the profitable enterprises yeah you know um, so we have the way our farm is is set up in general is we have about 13 paddocks or 13 different areas there the goal is to have them all fully fenced off but they're not all yet fenced off um but they're distinct and they're clearly kind of at least in my head uh and the team knows like there's there's this field and then there's that spot and there's this spot and i often mention on tours like you know there's a reason why we didn't just draw a line down the middle of the farm and put all the vegetable salad production on one half and then all the food forest and the wetlands and the other sort of perennial systems and the other half, we created a patchwork where maybe it's one thirteenth is salad connected to a food forest area near a wetland area and then another salad area. And that's partly, well, largely guided by the lay of the land. We have a very textured landscape here and broken landscape. So um, we, we've, we can kind of micro define these little fields and, and take advantage of microclimates. But it's also creating that patchwork naturally helps in integrated pest management and in nutrient, like kind of like spreading and storing nutrients in smaller pockets in a more decentralized way throughout the land. Um, the wetlands tend to gather a lot of moisture and gather a lot of nutrients and, and uh, biomass and produce a lot of biomass. So if they're kind of near a vegetable area and we can take advantage of some of the passive effects like underground like water hydration type stuff or mainly just like as a chop and drop for for mulch in the paths or for pest management from the habitat that they provide um so the 
overall farm design hasn't really changed much in uh it really is these 13 areas and it's about half of them are dedicated to vegetable production salad greens and cooking greens mainly and half of them are dedicated to food forest wetland uh, and then all 13 get animals at different times so no one area has animals forever but the animals move through the use of stationary animal houses that have multiple doors we can move the animals through the different 13 spots. So, you know, none of that has really changed. It's just like we don't have the goats anymore for now, uh, and we don't have meat birds right now. But the hens are still moving through different areas. We're raising young hens now. We have 100 baby chicks that are about four days old in the brooder house, and they're getting ready to go to one of those stationary animal houses and spend the next month grazing in what was a vegetable field but is now under a cover crop of weeds, you know, but, uh, but it's not in production right now. And then after a month or so, we'll put them into the food forest. So that whole pattern still works, right? Um, and I think that's important. The... The there's something I kind of want to say when I hear this question. I think if you're homesteading, you're naturally going to create rich diversity around you. And I think that's invaluable, but shouldn't be overlooked that that even if in the end you had an acre of of uh just vegetable cultivation but then you had a quarter acre orchard and your herb garden around your house and you know these sorts of little things that are all homestead that is providing super valuable diverse uh, diversity kind of like synergies to your acre market garden that might be less diverse because it's just all one you know annual vegetable one ecological succession phase um, so I think just by homesteading you naturally bring diversity with you so for sure we have we have a food forest that isn't really producing money directly except as a space for the animals to move through uh, but it feeds us and it provides a significant portion of the food for the animals that move through there so it reduces the animal feed bill it also like provides all those things we talked about integrated pest management and we won't cut them down we're careful to respect the ecological limits but I think where I'm seeing the efficiency come into play is, you know, doubling the hens right now, but getting rid of the meat birds. So, you know, I now can really focus on having eggs with the proper packaging and getting them even further out and building our egg brand as opposed to splitting our attention between meat and eggs. So I also think there's ways to shave off diversity in a sense. So we still have the animal that is a chicken on the land, but we don't have two different breeds of chicken. And I think that's okay, you know? Yeah, that makes a whole lot of sense. Now let's take a little step back and kind of redefine one of the things that we were talking about from the beginning. You gave us a look into some of the problems that your farm was having when it was over-diversified, or at least over-diversified from a profitability standpoint. And what we haven't talked about that yet is how that affected your lifestyle. Now, it's something that you, me, and, and Neil, and, and basically everybody who is in our community around here, especially those who are engaged in farming, talk about all the time. And that's how to design your lifestyle within and around your farm. Because especially in the permaculture world, people are very romanticized about this idea of working with the local ecology and with nature to produce all of these wonderful crops and foods and animal products and stuff. And that's marvelous. But a lot of people go in there a little bit blind or without the experience 
to know that when you get one of these systems installed, it's a living system and it requires a ton of maintenance. And especially when it comes to animals, uh, you can't take days off. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, our goats do not observe holidays and they still need to eat all the time. And we're the only ones who are giving them food. And so, I mean, there's a lot of other enterprises that are parallel to that that just need constant maintenance. And if you're thinking that it's going to be a piece of cake, you know, you're just going to do all this passive farming and get a ton of food, you're going to quickly realize that unless you have a support crew or something, you don't really get to travel on weekends anymore. Or it can really start to be a controlling force in your life that changes your lifestyle in ways that either you weren't expecting or that you are not okay with, you know, and this can very quickly become an all consuming job if that lifestyle design is not considered in the calculations for each enterprise. So tell me how you've managed to like keep your own life and take time off and manage these constant need uh, aspects of your farm without it being all consuming. Yeah, uh, well, it's been much easier since I gave you guys the goats, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but yeah, no, uh, that's a good question. And I think that's, that's really important. So I, here's one thing I will mention. I've always thought about like, especially in, we're here in Guatemala and there are amazing people in our community that are talented that can run circles around us with a machete or or with an acidone and really know the valley and the soil quality and people who really want full-time work uh it's it's uh an area where where there's talented people intelligent people that are really looking for jobs and uh the the cost of employing someone is just much less here than somewhere in the United States where a small business in the United States has to pay for, you know, insurance and all these other sorts of things that make it much more difficult to hire employees very easily. Uh, And so it's a double-edged sword. Like it's nice that we have like amazing people here that are really competent and can help take over stuff when we need a break or so we can grow a bit more fast. But I've always missed this like partnership, which I think now finally between Atilan Organics and Abundant Edge, we're really making that happen and that's exciting but for years i've longed for this idea of like you know having you know a a group of people together that are committed to a certain idea or a certain way of life and i just can like paint a picture for people if you are for example if i was in new jersey or in the united states or you find yourself in a developed country where you don't really see how a small-scale farming enterprise could enable you to pay an employee but maybe there's three families. Maybe there's three people or families that all have an interest in having their own dairy and all have an interest in growing some of their food and also long-term planning to have food forest products coming out of it as well. I think something like everyone sharing the labor through the week, like every day, one of the families, every week, one of the family does two days work and then you rotate Sundays. And that way, like you on two days a week, you could have the benefits of a full farm and maybe no one even lives at the site, but every day there's a different person from the fam, from one of the families going there. So I think partnerships really spread out the work of animals because I could see how it could be really difficult to, to, uh, especially if you're working out of off the farm job as well to keep animals that require daily care it's quite difficult um that being said i will also kind of like 
mention some other ideas about this. Like, I think really defining what you want for your lifestyle is key as well. Um, like I remember for like a long time, like I always had this idea of like waking up at 6 a.m., walking the goats, milking the goats, and then just have having the rest of your day free if you could figure out how to sell that milk, you know? That would be like a really nice thing and I'd be willing to commit to the daily care of them if I knew that it afforded me the kind of the rest of my day in, in a sense free. And then that goes back to this efficiency. If you're hand milking six goats, you may not be able to pay all your bills and it becomes a burden, but if you can figure out how to manage 20 good milking goats, for example, and sell one high value product cheese that you deliver once a week, you know what I mean? That uh, could produce a lifestyle that, hey, in three hours a day, I'm meeting all my needs. I have a few neighbors who I can give free cheese and pay them an hourly wage on Sundays or on weekends so I can get away sometimes. Um, So defining your lifestyle is really key um i think you know on a much more practical note with chickens and big feeders and automatic waters you can get away with for a couple days without feeding them if without visiting them if you have to and i've done that left for a weekend and just make sure they have enough feed and i have automatic waters set up um it's much more difficult with goats and things like that so for me right now where i'm at uh the salads and the hens, the salads don't need daily care, but the hens do need daily care. Uh, it's it's something that I wouldn't be able to do without our team of farmers. And I would really strongly urge people, if you don't have a team of people or a group, really ask yourself this question. Like, is there a way I can get someone to help me once a month so I can get away? Is there a way I can like board these things this is the other thing if you could figure out how to have animals for six months and then get rid of them i was listening to the mark shepherd podcast this morning and this always also sounds like a really appealing idea of like having cattle that you buy at 300 pounds in the spring fatten them through the summer and sell them in the fall i don't i wouldn't mind maybe committing daily care to animals for six months and then having six months completely free with no animals um so yeah i think people run head first sometimes into this thing that's actually going to give you a daily responsibility that you can't miss and i urge people to really consider how you'll manage that through a full year or two years and do you have people that can help you yeah i really like what you said there about integrating a team now we're like you mentioned in a in an area where there's a lot of like very reasonably priced labor considering the skill level and the effort uh, for the compensation it's also something that we're constantly talking about with our team at abundant edge obviously it's the three of us it's me neil and jeremy and adriana helps out a ton um but we're not primarily farmers for our income we're designers and and um, and we give consultations, and so managing a farm when we have outside jobs that take up a lot of our time, if not the majority of our time, um, means that we're constantly sort of balancing in between the time that we give for our clients' projects and other um, projects that we're managing, and making sure that our own enterprises in our homestead don't fall into disrepair or become inefficient. And I mean, I wish I could say that there's like a formula that we've come up with that works really well. Right now, a lot of it's very informal and we're going off of like trust and faith within each other. 
it's worked out really well up to this point, but we also are are all aware that we have to start putting in some written agreements and some things that we are all kind of on board with for the times when just trust and friendship break down a little bit because that's inevitable, you know? Um, But yeah, it's very hard to do this if it's not your main source of income and you're doing it as a hobby. You're really going to have to be a little bit cold about the things that you take on and how much maintenance and constant energy that that takes. But you also gave some really good examples of how you could have animals on the farm, even if they're high maintenance, if you only have them for a portion of the season. There are a lot of potential creative solutions within this that give people the option to take on an enterprise or an aspect of their farm without having to commit to it 365 days of the year. Um, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind just jumping in a minute there. Uh, I think, yeah, the, when you mentioned just creative solutions around how you could possibly like relieve one team of the 365 day care for a portion of the year, I think there's a lot of a lot to be said for that that I think doesn't get talked about too often. Right now, I'm turning over in my head the idea of like selling our whole chicken flock once a year and giving us like two two months off of that um there's there is a value for certain like for example for a hen that's already laying eggs i could probably sell my flock every season and pay for the next flock and a little bit more uh, on top of that uh similarly i've experimented with boarding goats with local families before um for for a period of time um I think you can really, really, it starts with defining what each person involved in the team wants, really being clear about it, and then kind of working, and some things are willing to be sacrificed, and you're willing to, like, give a little and get a little, but when you said being cold, I kind of think, like, just also being clear, like, this is what I need, this is what I need to have a fulfilled lifestyle, this is what you need, how can we make our farm design also meet those needs as well? And among those creative solutions, and I know this is pretty early to talk about, especially on the podcast, but we've all been talking about forming kind of an organic producers co-op here in the Sununa Valley around the brand of Atitlan Organics that you've created. Now, we don't have any structures or agreements in place, but I mean, we have talked a lot about some of the potential ways where this could be beneficial. Right now, especially in, in our town and, and the production methods of agriculture that there are around here, most of them are... I mean, quite frankly, fairly poorly managed uh, with heavy chemical inputs and low outputs of fairly low quality products. A lot of monoculture systems on uh, poor soils that could very easily be improved. And for us to be the only ones around here creating high dollar, high value organic products is to (laughs) always with the fireworks on these celebrations. (laughs) But anyway, it's... um, it would be a shame not to share that market with the with the community that we participate in. And so we've spoken a lot about kind of incentivizing others to increase their soil quality, diversify their farms, and get in on the higher dollar value products that we are producing through some of the experience and criteria that we've been uh, kind of fine tuning over the last couple of years. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's something we've, you know, at Atilan Organics, we've been working on for a little while. So 
uh, our salad greens, we actually have one family of growers. It's a, it's a, like one guy and then his cousin, and I'm sure both families kind of help. But they together have a greenhouse that the government built for them. But uh, they, we sell them seed. We check to make sure, and they grow about 20% of our salad greens for us. Uh, and they have a different climate. They're about 150 meters elevation above us. So uh, we kind of benefit from two different climates. And that's a huge lifesaver for us and we're also paying them like a really high value for a quick crop you know so that's one way uh, we already see an interest in the community we also buy probably 80 to 90 percent of the coffee that we sell from three organic growers and we pay 25 percent above the street coyote price so all the buyers in the street are offering one one price we have a higher standard for what beans we accept for uh, what the quality is when it's harvested but then we pay 25 percent more similarly almost 100% of our honey that we sell is is purchased from two or three different beekeepers. And I think, you know, as far as a cooperative, I see a huge potential for that because again, the, the kind of like foreigner international community of people that are popping up in Sununa interested in growing and actually putting it into practice. We have a lot of people producing different things like you guys are producing goat milk and uh, the dairy products and we'll be producing eggs and market garden as well. Similarly, Max up above is producing uh, chickens and eggs as well. The Love Probiotics people are coming here. So I've actually spoken with them as well. We're just kind of talking about the idea but that combined with local growers and a bit of training from our side to help them do it organically and in a way that sustains and regenerates the land, the cooperative has a big potential. Um, really quickly just mention how that might look as I dream it up uh, personally. And uh, this is not the end plan, but the way I kind of see it is maybe it's a community investment. Everybody invests to buy a delivery truck and then it's managed as a business owned by the people who invested it. And every producer is paying something to get their product on the on the truck. So hopefully the idea is if you can invest in it, you end up getting your delivery free via the, the quote unquote profits of that delivery co-op um, and creating a standard delivery system kind of codifies the market for a bunch of products to leave on the same day in an organized way uh, and get them all out to the right people. Yeah, and it could potentially fill in some of the gaps like you had mentioned, you know, if you wanted to take a couple of months off of some of your animal systems, if we have a more robust um, kind of group of producers, you could make sure that you maintain your relationships with your buyers who need those products all year around because there are multiple producers. So if you cut off one of your enterprises just to have some freedom in your life for a handful of months or even half of a season, there are other growers within your network that make sure that you don't lose those relationships with your clients. Um, there's you know, a lot of potential for using some of the profits in an organization like this in order to provide the uh, startup costs for other people to jump in which would otherwise be prohibitive because this is a relative, well, it's a very low income area, um, kind of by, by global income standards. And so getting started can be prohibitive, but an organization like this could help grease the wheels for people to uh, jump past chemical farming and start putting out higher value products. I mean, we could talk about this for an yeah, entire exactly. episode. Yeah, and yeah. certainly when we start getting the structure in and we start having the agreements and, and, um, 
some of the the legal stuff behind it, I'm sure we'll do an episode on how we're forming a co-op around here. But just so that we don't like bind ourselves to anything just because we're spitballing here, um, we'll move on. But um, I think we covered some really great stuff today. And um, I know that these are questions and issues that a lot of our listeners have been struggling with. So please, I would love to hear back from anybody listening to this podcast. Was this advice helpful? Have you been able to use it or implement it in, uh, in troubleshooting any of your own enterprises or your own production models? And feel free to reach out to us either on the Abundant Edge Facebook page where we field comments and questions, which we offer in uh, which we often answer during the regenerative roundtables. And you can also find Shad at atitlanorganics.com. Um, tell us other ways that we can find some of the material and the resources that you've been putting out, Shad. Yeah, thanks, Oliver. And uh, thanks for having me on the podcast again. Um, it's true, just catching up like we do all the time and then getting in front of listeners. I'm like, oh, I got to like talk all funny and <laughs> all that. But no, hopefully you guys got something good out of it. If you uh, want to see what we're up to, we have a pretty active YouTube channel. So youtube.com backslash Atitlan Organics. Uh, there's about 75 or 80 educational videos that are also fun. And we're actually about to release a bunch more new ones. Also, of course, on Facebook and Instagram, and we also just have lots of courses. We have Abundant Edge teaching natural building courses, uh, some intro to permaculture courses, permaculture design courses. And as well, we're gearing up for an advanced permaculture design course in November. So if you're interested in any of that stuff, you can find all the information on our website or on Facebook, atilanorganics.com or facebook.com backslash atilanorganics. Marvelous. And you guys are actually the ones who coordinate the volunteer program as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, definitely. So uh, this is again, you know, um, I think the the original idea of of the podcast was about efficiency versus diversity, and just kind of where we're at. We we're kind of reducing a bit of the diversity in favor of efficiency, Um, but I think it also evolved into this commentary on just how important it is to have a group of people that work together. Um, and that way you can kind of share diversity in favor of efficiency where we're at, at Atilan Organics, we have eight years of experience now, and we're really working to make each of the things we do more efficient, which I actually see as like, not quite as exciting for a lot of volunteers because the discussions we have is like, should we change the bag we use our salads in, you know, or something like that? Or should we see it at just a slightly different depth? So we're in this like kind of phase where small decisions make only incremental changes. Um, whereas Abundant Edge uh, is almost a year old, not even, it's like six months old or something. Uh, and at that phase, it's such an exciting time because any decision you make kind of de facto sets the stage for all the future. Not that anything's unchangeable or irreparable in a sense, but like you you have this longer vision with a lot more momentum and the, and the changes that happen every day are kind of much more like impactful. And so I think it's a much more exciting time for volunteers to be around as well. So we kind of all together, Atilan Organics and Abundant Edge uh, got together and kind of redreamed the volunteer program, which basically got the volunteers off of Atilan Organics for the majority of the time. They still take care of the chicken house and learn about the deep bedding compost and help once in a while. But now they're really on the ground floor of the startup phase of Abundant Edge Farm. So now volunteers are welcome to stay at the bamboo guest house and they get a reduced rate for lodging and they get an awesome buffet lunch included 
and then they have uh you guys have breakfast on the farm like full full farm breakfast and uh basically people are the volunteers come and work on abundant edge and really see the the start the startup phase which i think is the most exciting yeah, it has been really fun for us too, uh, especially from a learning perspective. When you get in in the first handful of months, because like, quite frankly, things are just rocketing forward for us right now because we have a team. Uh, obviously, if I was doing this by myself, we wouldn't be a fraction of where we are now. But yeah, it's fantastic for volunteers who often end up like I used to do a lot of volunteering around on like woofing farms and workaways and stuff when I was first getting into these types of topics and was traveling. And many of the places that I was volunteering were fantastic, but it was a lot of like repetitive, somewhat maintenance tasks, which are great for learning that you have to do those all the time. But if you're really trying to get kind of a a broad education on how to do these things for yourself, it's so key to get in when it's being developed. And right now we're we're building animal pens, we're maintaining uh, the market garden, we're adding a lot of new aspects and even earthworks and stuff, including building the house. Like So people get a little chance to try construction and natural building along with um, garden maintenance and animal care and uh, food processing with milk products. And like that's just a fantastic way to get a broad overview when what you're hoping for is an education that can get you up and started. Yeah, and and I was just going to add, and just like, you know, a real exposure to design that at that moment, the design of your guys' property is like alive and like changing and evolving. And so I think just being exposed to that design element, oh, this can go here. No, what about if this also interacts with that? And um, so, yeah, so uh, we're doing a lot of awesome stuff here in the Valley. It's like obviously great that you guys are, are next door neighbors to us and just the whole Valley has a lot of momentum right now. So uh, both locally and the international community really look forward to seeing what we can continue to produce and, and continue to uh, regenerate the land while getting healthy food out to the community. Yeah, I'm really excited about all the ways that we're moving forward as well. But let's uh, let's wrap things up now. I know we're going to get a lot more chances to talk uh, on the podcast as well. And Shad will definitely make some appearances on upcoming regenerative roundtables. But until then, thank you so much for making the time to speak with us and get us caught up with everything that's going on around here. And we'll be in touch again soon. Yeah, thanks a lot, Oliver. All right, bye. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles as well as the services we offer from design and consulting to education. While you're there, don't forget to take a look at the courses and workshops that we offer, which are all designed to empower you to take back control of your life by giving you the skills to produce your own food, manage landscapes regeneratively, build your own homes and structures with natural materials, and most importantly, to dream ever bigger about the highest potential that you could achieve for yourself, your community, and the planet that we all share. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email me and the whole team directly at info at AbundantEdge.com or you can post your questions directly to the Abundant Edge podcast Facebook page, to which there's a link in the show notes of this episode. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. 
Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again in next week's session.